Hey everybody, this is Ryan. I'm the college pastor at Northway Church, and we are glad you listened to our podcast. You are listening to sessions from our college conference that we did this spring, and at this conference we focused on the, the main theme of the love of the Father. And we had a buddy of mine named Adam Tarver. He's the college pastor at Prince Avenue Baptist Church over in Athens. He came and he did two sessions for us. And that's what you're listening to here, where session one, he focuses on God is love. And then the next session, he focuses on God is father. And they really are just really incredible. And we think you'll get a lot out of them because we did at the conference. Um, now, the second session, the God is Father, it does have a little bit of an audio problem where it cut out in the middle of it. And so that's unfortunate, but it's still really good. And so we hope you'll check it out. But we hope that these are just fruitful and good for your hearts. And we hope that uh, if you're not plugged in with us, that you'd get plugged in with us and you would contact us. All right, guys, y'all enjoy. can take a seat. Hey, can you just help me in thanking the band and the worship team real quick? I, I hope you guys know how incredibly blessed you are to have Northway Worship. Northway Worship is legit, and I just love being here and worshiping with you any chance I get. You guys are absolutely incredible. So, um, hey, I hope that you've had an incredible weekend. It has been a true and just genuine joy and pleasure to be here with you and just see the community that you have here. It's just put just a smile on my face being among you. I've loved seeing all the fun that you've had. I've loved seeing you play some ridiculous games. Like that putt-putt game was incredibly hard. Can we just be honest? Like that was incredibly stinking difficult, Ryan. So, but anyway, it was absolutely fun. Hey, Evan, congrats on the dub, my guy. I think it's because you were wearing that UGA shirt. You were wearing the shirt of a champion, so it makes sense that you're a champion, so I love that. But anyway, I really genuinely, more than all the fun and the good times and the pizza and the tacos and all that kind of stuff, I really hope that this weekend has afforded you the opportunity, like Eric was saying just a few moments ago, to pause and to really draw near to the Lord. That's why we do weekends like this. Like, Ryan doesn't just bust it and put all this together just so we can have some fun together. That's an important part of what we do. But we do all of this. We, we put in all the work. We put in all the effort so that you can dr- truly draw near to the Lord. And I really hope and pray that you've been able to do that this weekend. Last night, we started off by talking about this God who loves us beyond compare. And we took some time to talk about the specifics of this love that God has for us, right? And we talked about this idea that if we're ever going to be people who move into the world, move into darkness and trying to be a beacon of light and hope, being a part of the kingdom of God advancing, then we must be people who cling to the truth of who God is, and we must love one another well. In order to do that, we must first know this love from God. We must experience this love so that we can go out and show this love. And tonight, with our final time together, what I really want to do is just point you to the incredible relationship that God has invited you into. I want to point you to the incredible truth that the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Ancient of Days has invited you to know Him as your Heavenly Father. So that's where we're going tonight. We're going to talk about what that means, that God wants you to relate to Him as your Heavenly Father. But before we dive into that, can we just pray one more time? I want to just invite you right here and right now just to close close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want to give you a moment to pray once again. 
And I want you to specifically pray that God would reveal this truth to you in a new and tangible way tonight of what it means that he has invited you to relate to him as your heavenly father. Would you just pray and ask that God would speak directly into your heart tonight? I'm just going to be silent for just a moment, then I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that that is who you are, that you are our Heavenly Father through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord, I just, I know how much my life has been transformed by the knowledge of that truth, that you have invited me to know you as a Heavenly Father. And I just, I feel a burden tonight. I just, I want all of us to have a more firm understanding of what this means that you, God Almighty, have invited us, mere humanity, to relate to you as our Heavenly Father, to know you as our Heavenly Father. And so Lord, I just pray with everything that I have just asking that you would just use tonight. I know that no clever phrase or funny story or analogy can ever make that reality, that truth land on anyone's heart, that it's only going to be by a move of your Holy Spirit. And so God, that's what I'm asking for. I don't want this to be just another thing that we do. I don't even want this to be just another worship service that we attend. I want this to be a time that we genuinely encounter you, that we experience you in a new and fresh way. So God, would you be with us? Would you be speaking to us? I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're talking about this idea tonight that God has called us, invited us to relate to him as Father. And I am not exaggerating whenever I say that I think this is one of the most important truths that you could ever learn and you could ever understand about God, that he wants you to know him as your heavenly father. And my guess is that whenever I say that, there may be some of you in the room that you're like, yeah, like I, like I know that, right? Like my guess is for a lot of you in the room, you've probably grown up at least with some experience to church. And you may have heard, you may, you've probably referred to God as your father often. That may sound pretty normal to you. of that you can say all the right things, you can use all the right lingo, but you can be ignorant as to the depths of what this means. And I don't want that for you. I want you to understand as fully as you possibly can the depths of this truth that God has recalled you, invited you to relate to him as your heavenly father. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the depths of this significance. And the way that we need to do that in order for us to fully understand the magnitude of this, we've got to go all the way back to where all good stories begin at the very beginning. 
And we've got to talk about the Old Testament. Okay, that part of your Bible that my guess is you probably try to avoid, except for maybe Psalms, right? But I do know, Ryan, you're going through like Ezekiel right now, and it's, nope. Ecclesiastes, which is even worse. It's really hard. And so, like, I, I know that this is the, the part of the Bible that's really hard for us to understand tonight. But we need to, we need to understand this. You need to understand that the Old Testament in your Bibles is a time period that covers over 3,000 years of time. 3,000 years, over 3,000 years, well over 3,000 years of the story of the people of God. And what we see is that the people of God throughout the Old Testament did not relate to God as Father. That was not a category that they had in their mind. What you need to see is, and it's pretty easy to see, whenever you open the Old Testament, the Old Testament is characterized by a high degree of formality whenever it comes to relating to God. There were all kinds of systems and structures and traditions that highlighted the otherness of God, that highlighted how different he was from mankind. I was reading a book about this not too long ago, and, and the book said this, that the entire emphasis of the Old Testament is of a God who is holy and set apart. The entire emphasis of the Old Testament is of a God who is holy and set apart. And that's why we see pictures like Isaiah chapter 6, that whenever Isaiah, the prophet, has a vision of the throne room of God, it says that the entire train or the robe of God fills the temple and that there were angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The entire earth is filled with his glory. This is the entire emphasis of the Old Testament of a God who is wholly set apart from you, who is powerful, who is majestic, who is pure, who is mighty, and who is altogether different from us. And this is a beautiful thing about God. We do not want God to be like us. God, we want God to be holy. We want God to be mighty. We want that big picture view of God. But if we only know that about God, if we only know his holiness then the result is always going to be distance. You understand what I'm saying? Because the more, whenever, if we only see God's holiness, what we will see is that he is holy and we are not. And we will begin to understand that we are sinful, broken creatures, and we cannot draw close to this holy and perfect God. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament is these systems, structures, and traditions that are put into place in order for people to experience God, but always at a distance, never up close. We see that throughout the entire Old Testament, always highlighting God's holiness. But then something interesting happens. Then the New Testament begins and Jesus enters the scene and he begins to speak about God in a completely new way. And he begins to speak about God as his heavenly father. And I need you to understand this. By Jesus doing this, Jesus is not taking anything away from God. Whenever he begins to refer to God as his father, he's not taking anything away from God. God is no less than he was in the Old Testament. He is still mighty. He is still holy. He is still majestic and powerful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So nothing had changed about God, but something had changed in the way we were to relate to God. 
So nothing had changed about who God was, but Jesus was inviting us to see a new way to relate to God. And Jesus begins to speak of God in this new and unique way. We see in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' ministry, it's the first time that we ever see glimpses of this holy, mighty, majestic, powerful God being related to as Father. So what sounds common to you now was not common to these people who were experiencing Jesus' teaching. This was wildly uncommon to them. These people were steeped in tradition and formality whenever it came to relating to God. They had all kinds of names for God. They, had, they called him Yahweh, which was the divine name of God that was so sacred that they wouldn't even write it out. They called him things like Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. They called him El Roi, which means the God who sees. They called him El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. They called him Adonai, which means Lord. They had a long, long list of names for God. But Father? Father was not on that list. That would have seemed incredibly informal and disrespectful and irreverent to these people. And here comes Jesus, a new teacher on the scene, calling God Father. And you need to understand that this was not widely accepted. Far from it. John chapter 5 uh, talks about this. It says, uh, this is a moment that you don't have to flip there in your Bibles. I'm just going to read one verse. But Jesus stirs up a lot of trouble with this. It says in John 5, 18, that this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so what we see in the New Testament, this was not a widely accepted idea. This practice was not normal, and it angered a lot of religious people of the day. They thought that this was so irreverent for Jesus to refer to God as father. But what we see in Jesus, like I love this about Jesus, Jesus is Jesus is the ultimate pot stirrer, okay? So not, because not only does Jesus arrive on the scene and start calling God his father, but he starts encouraging his followers to do the same. He starts encouraging others, inviting others to relate to God as father. We see this all over the teachings of Jesus. Last semester in our college ministry, we took a little bit of time to go through one of the most famous teachings of Jesus that's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, one of the most prolific teachings of Jesus that we have recorded. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And I just got curious just about how many times does Jesus refer to God as Father or invite others to refer to God as Father just in those three chapters of Scripture. And I went back and I read it, and he does it 17 times in three chapters. Most of those, most of those come from chapter 6 alone. That 17 times he's, he's inviting them to refer to God as their Heavenly Father. And this has all kinds of implications for us. One of the things that I want you to see that this does for us whenever we begin to see God as our Heavenly Father is that it changes the way that we're meant to communicate with God. That whenever we begin to see him as our Heavenly Father, it changes the way that we're meant to communicate with him. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how they are meant to pray. This is one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. Even non-believers know this because it's, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Right? We've heard this time and time again. 
And whenever Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to pray, he says, pray then like this. And what are the next words out of his mouth? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You you know the prayer, right? Like this is what Jesus does. He starts off. And whenever he begins to teach his disciples how to pray, he addresses God. He encourages them to address God as our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. This was so uncommon to the original hearers. And I don't want you to miss the significance of this just because it seems normal to you now. This was so uncommon. Jesus is inviting them into something. He's inviting them into a deeper relationship with God. A relationship that would change the way that they would see and relate to God forever. Forever. What I want you to understand tonight, I think this is a really important thing to understand, especially whenever it comes to our faith, is that communication, the way that we communicate, is always determined by relationship. Communication is always determined by relationship. We see this in every aspect of our lives. Let me give you an example. My guess is, as a college student, who, who has ever had to send an email to a professor? Give me, raise your hand if you've ever had to send an email to a professor. My guess is, if you ever have to email a professor, you're probably pulling out like some more formal language. You're probably proofreading that bad boy at least twice. You might even give it to your friend to proofread it before you hit that send button. Why? Because you, this is the relationship you have with your professor, right? It's student and professor, and there's a high degree of formality there, and that formal relationship dictates formal language. You understand this? I would be willing to bet that you put way more thought into the email that you have to send to your professor than you do the text that you send to your best friend, right? Why? Because that's the relationship that you have with the professor. Now, does that mean that you respect your friend any less than the professor? No, that's not what I mean. My guess is you probably respect your friend a whole lot more than your professor, but you feel more freedom to communicate with them in a more informal way because you're more comfortable with them. Communication is determined by our relationship. And what Jesus is doing here is that he's calling us, inviting us into a deeper relationship with God that changes the way that we communicate with God. And understand, it's not one of less respect. It's not one of less respect. It's one of more comfort, more accessibility, more uh, familiarity with God. That he wants us to know him as Father. Jesus is inviting us to see God in a completely new way. But another thing that I want you to see is that not only does Jesus extend this invitation to us, not only does he invite you to relate to God as Father, but he's the one that makes it possible for you to relate to God as Father. I've got a passage of scripture I want to read for you in Galatians chapter 4. I believe it's going to be on the screens. Verses 3 through 7. The Apostle Paul says this. He says this, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're going to come back to that. It's really significant. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son 
into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Abba was an affectionate name for Father in the original language. Abba, Father. And verse 7 says this, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And I want you to see tonight that this text shows us that Jesus is not only the one who extends the invitation to you to relate to God as Father, but he's the one who makes it possible that God is holy, mighty, majestic, altogether set apart from us. Everything that the Old Testament says about him is absolutely true. And we are sinful, broken human beings who are incapable of relating to God on our own. So God sent forth his son to leave heaven, to come to earth, to put on flesh, to live the life that you and I could never live, to walk among us and showcase a better way of living to usher in the kingdom of God. And he lived a perfect life, and he surrendered that life on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty, to pay the price for our wrongdoing. He died for you and then rose to life so that you could relate to God as Father. He stood in your place of condemnation so that you could stand in his place as a child. That's what Jesus did for you. He enables you to receive what this text says is the adoption as sons. And I want to offer two really quick clarifiers, and then we're going to get to some application here. Two really quick clarifiers. From this text, I think there's two things that can be particularly confusing that are really, really important for you to understand. The first thing is that multiple times in this text, it says that we receive the adoption as sons. And now, some translations of the Bible, and this is not me, me hating on any translation of the Bible, some translations of the Bible have changed that to say adoption as children, or they've changed that to say adoption as sons and daughters. And I understand why they do that, but that's not faithful to the original text. And Paul uses this language very, very purposely. And I think that this is really important for us all to hear. Specifically, I think it's really important for you ladies to hear in this room. Because in this culture, what you need to understand is that in this culture that Paul is writing to here, the only ones that received an inheritance from their earthly father were the sons. The daughters did not receive an inheritance. The sons did. This is how that culture worked. Okay? So whenever a father would pass away, the sons would receive an inheritance. So whenever Paul is using this language that we're to receive the adoption as sons, he is doing that purposely because what he's doing is he's communicating that in Christ we are all recipients of the inheritance of Jesus. He is not saying that that promise is only available to men. That's not what that text means. He's saying that in Christ, both men and women receive the adoptions as sons, which means that they are recipients of the inheritance of Jesus. Oftentimes, we, we read texts like this with 21st century eyes, and we read, them, we read into them things which are not there. What you need to understand tonight is that this is not a statement about gender. This is a statement about position. It's a statement about position. And what Paul is saying here is that whenever you receive this adoption, you are made an heir through Christ. You are a recipient of the inheritance of true life, of abundant life, which we just sung about a moment ago, of life 
in the kingdom, and it's true for men and women. All are made heirs through the sacrifice of Jesus. You are no longer a slave to your sins anymore, but you are a child of God. You have received the adoption as sons. You have been brought into the family, and you've been made an heir through Christ. And the second clarifier that I think is really important for us to see is that that only happens through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the only way for us to be adopted into the family of God. And I say that because there's this really, I, I really believe, dangerous teaching today that says, oh, you know, we're all children of God. Right? You've, maybe if you've heard somebody say that we're all children of God. And I understand the like, sentiment behind that. They're trying to like, communicate that we're all created by God. But I'm just telling you, the Bible teaches that all people are creations of God. We're all created by God. But in order for us to have that title, child of God, we must confess the truth about who Jesus is. We talked about that last night, right? He says, he says in, in, uh, in the Gospel of John that he is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what we see is that mere existence does not make you a child of God. Adoption does. And adoption only happens through the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you're going to write something down, I want to encourage you to write this down. That Jesus invites and enables you to relate to God as Father. He's the one that extends the invitation, but he's also the one that makes it possible. And this is so significant. And I want you to understand that I'm, I'm like belaboring this and harping on this because this is so important for us to understand. There's a, a theologian that I really like whose name is J.I. Packer. He's incredibly smart. His books are kind of hard to read. I have to read the chapters like twice to understand what he's saying, sometimes three, four, or five times. But I've got a quote from him, and I think it's going to be on the screen as well. And he talks about this idea. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, Everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. And I love this. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And that's why I want you to to hear this because at the heart of this story, at the heart of the story of Scripture, at the heart of the story of all humanity and history is a God who is holy and mighty and just and merciful and gracious who holds all things in his hands and wants you to know him as your heavenly Father. And I want you to understand the significance of that. Because if you're ever going to be a person who leaves a room like this and goes out into the world and lives their life on mission, 
lives their life trying to be a part of moving forward for the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, you must be a person who knows God as your heavenly father. And whenever you do, whenever you see this, it changes everything. It changes every, not, not just the way that you communicate with God. It changes everything about how you view yourself, how you view those around you. It changes how you move into this world. I want to give you three quick things that you're going to receive, that you receive whenever you truly see God as your Heavenly Father. Three things that you receive upon adoption into the family of God. We're going to go pretty quickly through these. The first is this. The first thing that you receive is identity. You receive identity. I'm taking this from 1 John 3, verse 1. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That whenever you are adopted into a family of God, you receive that identity as his child, as his beloved child who, with whom he is well pleased. And I think that this is really important for us to understand because this identity is one that we do not have to earn. It's not one that the pressure is on us to prove ourselves. It's not one where we have to prove that we deserve it. We know we don't deserve it, but it's an identity that is done for you. You now have access to the very throne of God. You can go to God with absolutely everything in your life. Not just the big things, but with every moment of every day. Because you are his child, you have unlimited access to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. That is what he has done for you. You don't need to go through anyone. You don't need to go through any rituals or traditions. You have access to him. You can pray to him. You can spend time with him. You have ultimate access to your heavenly father. So you get this identity. And that identity provides you a special kind of accessibility. And that accessibility should then bring security to your soul. That's the third part, security. And whenever we have this identity, it provides us accessibility. And that accessibility should result in our security. We can feel secure because we realize that the God who holds all things in his hands, who is sovereign, who is in control, that he loves you, that he cares about you, and that should bring a deep sense of peace to our soul, should bring security to who we are. Romans 8 talks about this that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Your identity gives you access. Your access gives you security. You are no longer a slave to fear, but you're a child of God. I was trying to think of a, a good way to illustrate this to you, of how these three things kind of come together, of identity, accessibility, and security. And I thought about a story from my own life that actually has to do with my, my own earthly father, whom I affectionately call Papa Tarv. And Papa Tarv's actually in the back of the room. Can you wave, Pops? Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah, clap for Papa Tarv. That's great. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, so what you need to know is whenever I was a kid, I struggled a lot with anxiety. I was a very anxious child. And whenever I would get anxious, the one place that I wanted to be was with my parents. I wanted to be with my mom, and I wanted to be with my dad. Let me tell you why. Because my mom, who's also here, Mama Tarf, uh, <laughs> my mom always had the right words to say. 
don't think she knows that, but she always had the right words to say. She was always so comforting, and she would know just what to say that would calm my troubled soul. And my dad, my dad didn't say much, but my dad was, is a big, strong man. And just his presence brought me a ton of comfort, made me feel safe. It made me feel secure. It made me feel like I was at home. And I just I always assumed that I would outgrow that. You know what I mean? Like I, I expected that whenever I was a little kid, but I assumed that I would outgrow that. But the reality is the older I got, anxiety continued to follow me. And I've continued to battle anxiety for just a, all of my life. And, and it's been good at times. It's been bad at times. I remember uh, a time that it was particularly difficult. I was about 23 years old. So about y'all's age, maybe a little older than you. I had recently graduated from UGA, and I was working a couple of jobs in Athens, and uh, my cousin had an opportunity to take a teaching job at an all-girls orphanage in Tanzania over in Africa. And before she committed to the job, she wanted to go and check it out first, which makes sense before you commit your life to something you want to go like at least see and lay eyes on a place. And so she and I are really close, and so she asked me if I would travel over there with her because she didn't want to travel halfway across the world by herself. And so we go. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. It's going to be incredible. And so we fly, and we have like a 24-hour layover in Amsterdam, and it's great. We're like sipping espresso in a European coffee shop. We're like living the dream, right? Everything was great until we actually landed in Tanzania. And I remember, 23 years old, with my cousin, we land in Tanzania, and the airport in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, is not as nice as Hartsville, Jackson. I don't know if you can imagine that. And it was just, it was really dark whenever we landed. It was really late at night. And we try to, like, make our way through this airport. The, like, signs are all in different languages. It's really difficult to find where we're supposed to go. We finally make our way out of the airport, and there's somebody that's holding a sign with our names on it, but the, our names are misspelled, which doesn't bring any comfort to me. And so they, like, lead us to this minivan. They take our vans. They put us in the back of this minivan. They don't speak hardly any English at all. And so, like, I'm just, like, running through worst-case scenarios in my mind because it's me and my cousin Leanne who weighs, like, 110 pounds soaking wet, right? And I'm just like, what in the world did we just get ourselves into? And we begin leaving the city of Dar es Salaam, we're with like four other people and none of them speak good English. And I just remember there's one like young, like maybe like 25 year old lady who just like keeps looking back over her shoulder and smiling at me, which did not make me feel good at all, right? And so we're like leaving the city and I'm just like, my heart is pounding, right? And so we, we pull off the main road onto this dirt road and we're like winding through mountains and I'm just like, where are we going? And we finally pull up to what we later learned is the orphanage, but it's uh, like compounds surrounded by concrete walls that are 10 feet high. The dude knocks on the door a certain number of times, and a guy opens it holding like an assault rifle. And I'm like, oh, we're, this is it. 23 years old, it's been a good run, I'm done, right? And so they, they like take us inside, to unload our luggage, and they leave us in this house, and we're all alone. Me and Leanne, middle of Tanzania, no phone service, no nothing. And y'all, that was easily like the top three times, like most anxious I've ever been in my entire life. And for the rest of the trip, that trip went terribly. <laughs> it just, it, like nothing went according to plan. The entire time, the entire time, I'm just a nervous ball of energy. I'm anxious. And there's just this deep longing in my heart for home. I just want to be home. And so... We, we finally, we get through this 10 days there, we fly home, and we land in Atlanta. And I just very vividly remember coming through customs, getting my bag, walking out of the security gates, and I see my mom and my dad. And I make a beeline for them, and I think we actually have a picture of this moment. So that's me and my dad. Are you actually, you're actually wearing that shirt right now. 
was not planned. Um, I'm 23 years old in that photo. But in that photo, I felt the same security that I felt whenever I was a little kid. Because in that moment, I realized that I was home. And in that moment, I knew that this is my dad. I'm his son. I finally have access to him. And that access brought deep security to my soul. And that's what I want for you. I want that for you. Because here's the reality. The reality is you're going to face difficult things in life. There will be difficult moments. You will face life's mountaintops, but you will also walk through the darkest of valleys. And through the midst of that, I want you to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you beyond compare. And as beautiful as that moment was, that is nothing in comparison to the love that God has for you. And so here's the deal. I think it's really important that you understand that God loves you as, you, as a heavenly father. He wants you to relate to him as a heavenly father. And I understand that that thought may come with some baggage for some of you. There may be some of you in the room tonight who don't have a good experience with your earthly father. And so the idea of God as your heavenly father makes you really uncomfortable. But I want you to hear me say this. Please do not equate your experience with your earthly father to the experience with your heavenly father. Because even the best fathers fall short. But your heavenly father never will. He is holy. He is mighty. He is perfect. He does not fail. But he also loves you beyond compare. And he wants you to know him as your heavenly father. And I want that truth to land on your heart tonight. I want you to understand that through the sacrifice of Jesus, that Jesus invites and enables you to relate to God as Father. And whenever you begin to see God that way, that it gives you a new identity, an identity that will never be taken from you. It gives you a special kind of accessibility where you can run to God with absolutely everything. And that will give deep, deep security to your soul. Northwood College, my prayer for you is that you would be men and women who move into the world for the glory of King Jesus. That you would be a part of the kingdom of the light advancing in this city, on your campus, and your friend groups. But for you to do that, you must know this love 